Let's do this. Having a business is it's like having a child. It's okay to make mistakes. People don't talk about it enough. I think that you have to, at some point, you have to delegate. I think that you can't try and control everything. On point. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of On Point. I'm your host, Taylor Burke, and today we have one of the finalists from the biggest reality styling shows, The Big Blowout, and finalist for the Southern Hairdresser of the Year Award. He is a co-owner of a wonderful salon and a cutting specialist. Give a warm welcome to Jack Mead. Hi, Jack. Hi, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We are so excited to have you. So there is a lot to dissect and go over today. Just doing your intro, as the listeners know, you have so many amazing accomplishments. So we are going to learn so much about you and your input towards the hair industry. So let's firstly talk about your upbringing and what led you to become a hairdresser. Okay, so probably a bit of a strange one, but I grew up in England. When I was 10, I moved to Cyprus. So my mum went on holiday, had like a holiday romance, met a waiter And six months later, we moved completely to a different country. So I went to a Turkish school because Cyprus is half Greek, half Turkish, and I couldn't speak any of the language. So um, fell really behind, you know, found it quite difficult as well as trying to like learn a language, but also integrate into a new culture and all these new things in my life at 10. So I actually left school when I was 14. I was really struggling and, you know, I needed to get a job. You know, I didn't come from a lot of money. My family didn't have much money. And they were like, if you're not going to go to school, you're going to have to work. And and I think I was always interested in my hair. And I, I loved like fashion or what I thought was fashion at sort of 14 years old. <laughs> David Beckham was like a style icon to me. And I don't know, I was really into like, I loved football and sport. And so hairdressing in the UK probably never would have entered my life. But just so happened that in Cyprus, a lot of hairdressers are male. And I thought, oh, that looks like a, a cool job. And so I just got an apprenticeship and basically fell into it. But honestly, it kind of, it saved my life because I probably was on the, the sort of route of going down the wrong sort of path at that time. And then I found something that gave me a purpose. So that's hairdressing for me. So I have so many questions for you. Were you already picking up the language then? I mean, you had only been there for what, three or four years? Yeah, so by that point I could get by and actually, yeah, so I wasn't too bad. I could I, I could speak Turkish by that point, not fluent, but I could, I could speak it pretty well. And was anyone else in your family in the hair industry? Like your mom, like what did she do for a job? My, my mom was an estate agent. My dad's a secondhand car salesman. So no one did hair, in fact, like, My dad loves football and used to take me to the pub basically all the time. So he's not like a real manly man, but you know, like hairdressing just would not have entered my life. Do you know what I mean? And same with when I was living with my mum, my stepdad is like a proper Turkish kind of like macho man and nothing in my life would have ever put me in that path. So it was just luck, really luck of the draw. Well, luck, but isn't that crazy with life? Like certain circumstances happen to us. Like if you would have never have moved, like you were saying, you might have never have gotten into this career. Like it's just so crazy how things line up like that. I'd really believe that, you know, like there was a lot of things in my life at that time that were really hard and were a real struggle, but hairdressing has given me the career of my dreams. And like you say, it's amazing how these little things in life can take you into a direction, like little decisions that you can make and change your life forever. 
I think about that all the time. So you were 14, you got into this. What happened next? We got to go on with the story. Like, I'm so curious. I moved back to England when I was 16. By yourself? Yeah, my dad lived in England. So I kind of like half rented a flat with my dad, but my dad was also in a relationship at that time. So he kind of was there sort of half the time. So I was pretty independent from the age of sort of 16. And I worked as an apprentice in a salon in England and then used to work in a pub in the evenings to make up that extra money. Because when I was learning to be a hairdresser, you literally got paid nothing so uh, <laughs> to be an apprentice. So um, that was okay, you know, at 16 years old, I had a lot of uh, energy and I could make that work, you know, I could make that work working in the salon and working in the pub three evenings a week. So I always tell people, because we do education as well, and I always love to tell people that I don't come from a really prestigious salon. I didn't learn at Vidal Sassoon, which is an incredible hair salon in the UK or or Trevor Sorby or any of those historically incredible training sort of salons. You know, I came from like a little village salon, you know. So I qualified then when I was 18 and I wanted to just work somewhere a bit cooler and and I was really ambitious and I was like so passionate about hairdressing and the, and the world of hairdressing. So I went and applied for a job at this really fancy salon because it had those like round trees outside of it. <laughs> you know, like those bon bonsai trees. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's posh if they got those, don't you? They gave me a job because I was so passionate. But after about two or three weeks of working there, they pulled me aside and they were like, you know, you're just not good enough really to work here. Your skills aren't good enough, you know, because I'd come from a small salon and this was a posh salon. But they gave me the opportunity to kind of relearn and they didn't just sack me you know they gave me the opportunity to get better and and i'm really grateful for that so i worked there till i was about 20 so for another two years and then i guess i was like oh now i'm 20 and i've worked really hard for like six years already and i think i was a bit jealous that a lot of people i knew had been to like university and had actually like done a lot of like living and I felt like although I was you know grateful for what I'd achieved I felt like I wanted to do something else so I moved to Australia I was like oh I'm gonna go and travel the world and I'm not gonna work and I got to Melbourne in Australia and straight away went and got a job in this really cool salon <laughs> I did do a lot of traveling but I, I couldn't stay away and I actually had a flight booked like around the world. But when I got to Australia, I cancelled all my flights and got a working visa. And then, and I ended up managing a salon in Melbourne for a year. And you're 21 at this time-ish. Yeah, 21, yeah. So like you moved there and you had to like kind of start over again. Yeah, I was just traveling really. So yeah, I didn't know anyone and just rented a flat. And that was that, yeah. And then I, I traveled around Australia and Thailand and Bali, which was super cool. They actually wanted to sponsor me. So I nearly stayed in Australia with the salon that I was working for. But, you know, I would have had to stay there for four years at least with my sponsorship. And it's quite a big commitment. And I think at 21, I was like, no, nah, I want to go and travel a little bit more. And then I was like, oh, where, where can I go now? I want to get back into hairdressing and, and I want to like own my skills and get better. And, and so I moved to London. I got a job in a, in a very big salon group called Rush in London. 
they have like fantastic education and they do lots of creative work and big shows. And yeah, I didn't know anyone in London. I just moved there. In fact, when I moved to London, I didn't even have anywhere to live. I just went and stayed in a hostel until I got a job and <laughs> just winged it. And then <laughs> I give you so much credit because I would be so nervous to do that. You're living in the present, like not worry about the following day where I would be like, where am I staying tonight? How am I going to get eat dinner? Like, I give you so much credit. That's so cool. Hairdressing is such a great craft that you can take with you. And I, I guess I always felt like I was so passionate about what I do that I felt like as long as I show my enthusiasm and show people how passionate I am about what I do, that I can get a job anywhere because, you know, I know that I can cut hair and I know that I love people and I know that I love to make people happy and feel good about themselves. And so I guess I just felt like wherever I went in the world that some salon would want me. And so I never really felt worried. And I think that's, again, it's a bit of luck that with my job that I chose that, that it's very transferable and that you can go anywhere. And, and as long as you have a little bit of confidence, not arrogance, I think you'll be okay, you know? 100%. And something that you said really stuck with me. You said that hair is universal. And that's so true. Like hair is all over the world. So like, as long as you know your craft and you're passionate about it, you really could go anywhere and cut hair, do hair, color hair. So like, that's such a good point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's been great. So then I worked in London and built my way up sort of from a middle of the range to like, uh, what they called a cutting expert. So that meant that I would learn from like the top people and then deliver that to the salon and, and that was really cool. So yeah, just worked my way up there. And then after a while, I decided that I wanted to open up my own salon. I started looking at the South Coast, which is kind of where I'm like originally from in the UK. I was looking all over the South Coast. So if you imagine like I'm just from one little bit I was like looking at the whole thing. I wasn't worried about where I went. I just wanted to find the right place for where I wanted to settle down and also where I thought people would appreciate what I did. It's not necessarily about money, but I really wanted people to like appreciate what a good haircut is and appreciate the craft of it. Because um, I think for me, that would be the most demoralizing thing is not, not not getting paid much, but for people to not really appreciate like a good haircut for a bad haircut because I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, mask this craft. So I think that was important for me. So yeah, I looked on the South Coast and, and there's this one place called Limington. It's in Hampshire and it's, it's in the New Forest, which is like a national park. It's really beautiful. They have like wild horses everywhere. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And so I get shown this empty premises. It's December, so it's really cold and it's on this cobbled street. Next, there's a pub there and the pub's got a fire going and they show me around this premises. And a lot of people didn't want it because basically it's like a, it's an old house. So it's, it's three floors. And the reason people didn't want it is because the actual business part of it was the bottom floor. And that was quite small. And then basically when you went upstairs, that was a flat. And so in the UK, a lot of the time when that's the case, people rent the business and then they have a separate door and then they rent the flat. But this premises only has one front door. It meant that if someone took it on as a business, they'd have to take on the whole building. But the business side of it is really small and the flat was in bad nick. 
So for most people, that's like an inconvenience to take on a whole place for like a tiny shop. But for me, I didn't have any money. So it was like perfect because I could open this tiny salon, like studio, really cool, homely sort of salon downstairs. And because I didn't have any money, I could live upstairs. I only have one rent, one electric bill, one water bill, one internet, you know, all of that stuff. And I was like, this is just perfect. And Livington is this place that I'm talking about is like really historic. This building is 350 years old. I canceled every other viewing and was like, yeah, I'll take it on that day. I was like, this is the place. And then I actually um, met Lydia at literally just after I said, I'll take this premises. That's when I started speaking to, to Lydia. So just so the listeners know, Lydia is your now wife. Yeah. And you guys met because you guys are both hairdressers and you guys met through Facebook and she was looking for a model. Yeah, that's right. I know the whole story. I love it. Something that I want to point out too, when we get into the story is you were so much like your mom. Your mom met her husband within six months, right? Moved, started this whole journey. Have you ever made that connection? No, never. <laughs> okay. So when you were telling me the story with your mom, I'm like, Ooh, I can't wait to bring that up when we talk about him and Lydia's story, because you literally kind of did what your mom did. Yeah. That's strange, isn't it? <laughs> well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. They say, I don't want to tell the story for you, but you and Lydia were talking on Facebook and I have to say this, but you guys had never met when you guys already started your business planning together. So I'd found this place and I'd started to write a business plan. I'd known Lydia on Facebook a little bit, mainly because she is an incredible hairdresser and she had won some really massive awards. They have a competition called uh, Color Zoom and she won it in Toronto and Canada and she also won in Barcelona. So global competition. And so I knew who she was, but we'd never met. She was doing a stage show and she needed a male model that had long hair. I said, if you need someone, I'm a hairdresser too. If you like, I can do it like. And so she was like, yeah, you'd be perfect for it. But unfortunately, my grandmother actually passed away. So I had to go to Cyprus and so I couldn't do the job. But then we didn't speak for a couple of weeks and then she sent me a message just saying, I hope you're okay, which I thought was really sweet. You know, it was really nice of her to get back in touch and just say like checking in. Cause she could have totally been like, screw you, you flaked on me, even though it was totally an understandable thing. Yeah, totally. It just was a really nice thing. And then, yeah, we just started speaking, but like, she was like, oh, I I'm thinking of maybe opening up my own salon. Like I'd really love to do that. And I honestly, there was no like relationship sort of idea of it at all. It was like, just, oh, that I could help you out. That's really nice. Like, let I've just written a business plan for a business. And we just started talking, you know, we just started getting to know each other. And we had just had so much in common. And it was just like a, one of those natural things. And I was like, oh, well, maybe you could come and work in my salon for a bit and I can like help you write your business plan or like help you with if you've had any questions because I've literally just done it. And so that was kind of what we started off with. And then she was like, oh, can I see your business plan and what your idea is for the salon? And so I sent her everything and she was like, oh, that's cool. But I would actually have it a bit more like black, like I'd have all this, all the walls black and the ceiling black and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's really like unique. That's really cool and different. And then I don't know, it got to a point where I was like, oh, 
do you just want to open it together? <laughs> and uh, and she was like, yeah, sure. And that's, that's literally like we'd never met at that point. Probably a couple of weeks later, we met for the first time. How was that? I think that we had been talking so much that we'd kind of changed into a more of a romantic and we, we had so much in common and we got on so well that I feel like maybe there was just a, there was a real connection and I think when we first met it was like like meeting anyone for the first time you know it's like you're a bit nervous and I think we were both both nervous but I don't know it seemed very natural and exciting really I think everything was quite exciting at that time I mean it was crazy I don't even know how we opened the salon on the budget that we did but the style of our salon what we wanted to go for was kind of like a antique homely a lot of salons can feel quite clinical and that wouldn't really fit the place that we have is a 350-year-old old English building. And we were literally driving up and down the country in this tiny car, just shoving all this furniture in, into this car and then bringing it back and offloading it all into this place. We needed to open the salon in like two months. So it was like this mad rush to get everything going. And, and it's crazy. I just have to point out too, is like, yes, you guys are opening up the salon and you're stressed and you guys don't have money, but you guys are also like a newly dating couple. And like, that's already exciting and a lot going on with that. So to add like a salon and a business and everything on top of that, that's like so much at once. Talk to me about opening day. Like, okay, so you guys opened up the salon. Then you're like, okay, now what? Because you guys didn't have clients. It's a new salon in a new area. It's not like you had people you knew. Talk to me about how you got people through the front door. Hey, have you heard about Vagaro? It's the best place to book hair appointments, facials, and even workout classes. They have a huge marketplace where you can find local beauty, wellness, and fitness businesses that fit your exact needs. Plus, with the Vagaro app, you can book services and classes whenever, wherever. Who knows? Your new favorite self-care business could be a simple search away. Download the Vagaro app. That's V-A-G-A-R-O to get started today. Talk to me about how you got people through the front door. I, yeah, literally had the door wide open every single day and smiled at every single person that walked past. And people would eventually just, like someone would come in and I said that six months will be fully booked. And we were, we were fully booked in six months. We didn't really take a wage for, I don't know how long, we didn't take any money out of the business for probably a good six months. We didn't even pay ourselves, you know, anything. So it's just the sacrifices when you start so small and you're on such a tight budget, you know. We negotiated like three months free rent when we opened and that's why we needed to open in two months so that then we could have one month of earning something to then give us a head start. So like we did work seven days a week, we were open seven days a week and we were open for probably like 12 hour days and just waited for people to come in. People ask me a lot, how do you build up a clientele? And honestly, there's not, there's not like a magic science to it. Consultation is the most important thing. You know, I feel like the only time I've ever done hair wrong is because I didn't do my consultation properly. You need to listen to people, you know, so if someone comes in, be enthusiastic, be passionate about what, what you're doing and what it is that they're going to have. But really listen to them and figure out what hasn't worked in the past or like, you know, what their dream hair is and how we can achieve that. And, you know, what little things are going to maybe get in the way, but we're going to figure out a way of overcoming those obstacles and, you know, just figuring out 
what it is that, that's going to make that person feel special and that they're going to be able to maintain it themselves. That's really important. But this is all in conversation, you know. It's not like you have to be a wizard and do everything of these. But if you actually talk to someone and let them know that you're listening, I think you just do that with one person and they go, God, not many people really listen to me. And, and they go and they say, this hairdresser really listens, you know. And I think that having a business is it's like having a child. I think it's, uh, it takes a lot of your energy. You know, you have to sacrifice a lot to be able to provide for your business, I think. It stretches you and you become someone who wears many different hats and, and you have to learn about a lot of different things that, you know, you, you maybe didn't know about before. You were just a hairdresser and now suddenly you're a business owner. It's a different thing. And I look back now and I was so hypocritical because before I opened a business, I was like, what do people mean when they don't have time to go to the gym? Like, everyone's got time you know, and, and now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was so immature to, to think <laughs> like that. That's not the case. You know, people necessarily don't have the time. And and what I certainly didn't have the time. Well, four years we've owned Jack and the Wolf and I've only just started getting back to the gym now. So it's been four years. So Well, you know what? It was all worth it, though. That's the thing. The sacrifices are, are so worth it. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, you know, and it's uh, it's literally my dream. And and, you know, we've got an incredible team and that makes it all worth it. I think, you know, I think for us, all we ever wanted when we went into opening Jack and the Wolf is we wanted to have a great team and we wanted people to like appreciate what we do and, and love what we do. But for us, it was about building a community. That is what we really set out to do. The last thing I'll touch on on our story because I think it's really important. When we opened the business, which was March 2019, that's when we found out that Lydia was pregnant as well. So that was like, not only did we open this business with like not even knowing each other really and having this empty shop, but all of a sudden Lydia was now pregnant as well. And so she was like building furniture and doing all of this stuff while starting to be sort of halfway through pregnancy. And we don't look back very much because there's so much, it's been, for us, it hasn't stopped for four years, you know? Right. But when I look back, like, she was working right up, She was, I think like two weeks before she gave birth, pretty much. We were still a new business. We had no money, no help. So we were just like trying to hustle and make it work, you know? So, so much respect for Lydia for being a badass. I'm glad you brought that up because I do want to talk about that. One, want to point out again that when Lydia got pregnant, you guys had only known each other for a month, had signed a lease, was renovating this place, like mind blowing and you guys made it work. So kudos to both of you for that. Second thing, my question to you is, so she's pregnant. You guys are doing the DIYs, the shop opens. She's about two, three months pregnant at this time. She works for the six months. You guys start getting the clientele. I'm so curious. So what happens? She gives birth. She's upstairs on the flat. She can't come downstairs. So you're carrying the whole salon. Like, or did she bring the baby down and take her clients? Like, I'm curious if you don't mind talking to me about how that happened. You know, this whole story, I guess it was hard. We never had a chance to really reflect properly on it. And I think that's good because we just kept going. It was like, you know, you just keep walking no matter what's happening and what's getting thrown at you. We just kept going from the very beginning. I looked after Unity, my daughter, as much as my wife did. So we've been 50, 50 parents from the start and that's how we, we like to be. And as much we support each other in our careers. So. 
do you mind talking about your business tips about marketing? Because I know you said in the beginning you were standing outside to try to get people in, but you also, if I'm correct, use social media to market yourself in the area. Yeah, so I started using Instagram when we opened the salon in 2019. Actually, I got up to about just from sharing pictures of my work and stuff, I think I got up to about 4,000 followers or something like that. And then my account actually got hacked, which was really devastating because I thought at that time, like 4,000 followers was like, I thought I'd like was doing really well, you know? Right. And I was, I was really gutted. Um, but, you know, that's another thing. You just have to move on because Instagram don't really help you very much with that sort of thing if, you have, if your account gets hacked. And they just basically just went riot with it anyway it got deleted so i started again and then basically what happened was lockdown happened in england when covid happened we had to shut our salon and so i was like oh i'm gonna turn our salon into like a studio so i got box lights and ring lights and a backdrop and Basically, like Lydia and I started doing cutting loads of mannequin heads. I started to do like tutorials and stuff. And then that was, it started to like, I guess because no one had anything to do. So people were watching them and really interacting with them. And I was getting reshared a lot by platforms. And, and then I guess by the end of lockdown, that first lockdown, I got up to about, I think it was just over 10,000 followers. Which was a really, at that time, I felt like, you know, I felt really, I achieved something. And I guess I loved feeling like I was in a community, you know. I guess lockdown, I was lucky. I was with my family and and the salon. We were still living above the salon, so that was pretty good. Because it was kind of like home and I didn't have another rent to pay. And I we have got a garden here. So, you know, lockdown was hard for a lot of people. And I feel lucky that I was in the place that I was. And... And so I was enjoying this kind of community that I was building outside of these four walls, you know, that we were trapped in, like everyone was trapped in. And then, I don't know, one day it just hit me where I was like, oh, I kind of feel like I want to try and get non-hairdressers to look at my content. And I feel like maybe I was one of the first people to do it in the UK. I've got a feeling that's why my videos started to go kind of viral but I basically it's really simple people always ask me do I have a fancy setup and I don't at all I literally have a book <laughs> and I put my phone on the book and but I just film it from the front I mean I'm sure you've seen thousands of those videos now because it's everyone's doing it now but I think I think I was one of the first in the UK to decide to do it because basically I thought oh what would non-hairdressers like hairdressers obviously want to see the back and they want to see all the cutting and everything that you're doing technically but what would people want to see people would want to see someone's face actually change and their emotion change and their face framing change and so I just filmed one video from the front I don't know this was like a year ago it literally I looked at my phone and I, I had like 25,000 followers or 30,000 followers and this video posted one minute ago 600 likes then it was like five minutes a thousand likes and you did not promote it or pay money for it like this was all organic yeah i've never paid for anything on instagram like i said i think that not many people had seen this this way of filming content 
And I think that the song that I chose, I genuinely don't know if I started the trend of that song and the transformation of the hair was quite a big, it was a blonde to brunette transformation. And the girl was really cool as well in the video. So I think it was a mixture of the, the girl, the transformation, the song, and the fact that no one had, no one was really doing it, especially in the UK, this way of filming. In like a couple of days, it had 4 million views and 110,000 likes. And that was organic. And I gained probably 20,000 followers from that one video. And I must get, because of Instagram, six or seven a day like of this request box so it's hundreds of people and they're, and they're from everywhere they're from america they're from they're like oh just fly to come and have a haircut and it's like people from everywhere and that is just because of instagram and so like that really is life-changing really isn't it you know it, it's um kind of unbelievable I can't really get my head around it myself I mean that's amazing the fact that not only that you're fully booked but that you have a wait list and that people will fly anywhere to come to you that has to be such from like your humble beginnings of like not knowing what's gonna happen to being like this this is insane and honestly all thanks to social media too to help you guys I mean social media has massively helped because it's our salon is it's in the middle of nowhere really right so even though you're a business owner and a stylist you are still putting yourself out there for new opportunities and growth you were on a reality show like I mentioned in the beginning for hairdressers you were the lead of a London fashion show you did hair for x factor talk to me about why you decided to do these extra things when you already have so much going on so I think that mine and Lydia I think our biggest passion is is probably creativity and wanting to push ourselves and and work more in fashion like that's kind of our i think our dream is to create collections that we can show across the world and i think that we would love to you know work on more editorial shoots you know i'd love i think a dream of mine is to work on a Vogue cover, you know, that would be like, that would be like my ultimate dream. That's so I'm working, you know, hopefully I can assist people and work up to that. And, and I guess work more in fashion as well as behind the chair. So I think we're so passionate about pushing ourselves and, and, and we look up to so many people, so many hairdressers who we think are artists, right? And we're like, how do we get there? How do we, what do we have to do to be able to get to those people? I think, you know, you always have people that you're looking up to. And the only way to do that is to put yourself out there and to keep learning and, and to try and be out your comfort zone and put yourself into a place where you're uncomfortable because that's how you grow. Totally. And Jack, do you go out of your way to find these opportunities like the London Fashion Show and X Factor and this reality show? Or do these just come and fall in your lap? I get those opportunities because of the brands that I work with. But to be fair, so I'm a guest artist for Goldwell. So Goldwell, KMS, Cow, they all support London Fashion Week designers. And so we get to go and work with those amazing designers on those shows because of those brands. But yeah, all of the rest of those things, the, the TV show, X Factor, and assisting amazing people is all from me just trying to put myself out there as much as possible. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm really lucky I'm working on a shoot, an amazing photo shoot next week. I can't tell you what it is. That is because there's the hairdresser that I 
I'm working for, I, you know, I messaged him on social media and I was like, I love your work. It's amazing. Like, if you ever need someone to assist, please let me know. And he was like, oh yeah, of course, that's really nice. Thank you. It was really like gentleman. And then obviously I didn't, I didn't really hear anything, but every time he posted something, I always message him and be like, wow, that's amazing. Like, that's so cool. And then I think, you know, then he's like, oh, this person won't leave me alone, like, but in a nice way. And eventually I've now got an opportunity, but that's just because I just keep asking, you know, and I think that everyone's different, but I believe that you shouldn't expect things to just come to you and that you have to put yourself out there a little bit, you know, because I know myself, like you're so busy all the time and people might say, oh, can I do this work with you or whatever? But there's so many things all the time that I think you have to try a bit harder, you know, like it's hard for people to remember you in an age where we're so quick to flip on our phones left right and center and scroll up and scroll up and you know it, and that's not anyone's fault that's just this reality that we're now in this digital age so i think that you have to be like i'm here like i want to be working for you i want to you know i i want this opportunity so like please let me have it i think you have to be a little bit like that that is so amazing and it shows what a hard worker you are and honestly it's a great reminder to the other people listening like you know what sometimes if you get a no like keep going at, not that you got a no oh i get loads of no's though you know and that's okay as well like i think for some things to not go how you expected is is okay it's okay for these things to happen and and that's how we grow and and um, I actually watched this amazing, um, it was something from Nick Knight, who's an incredible, famous photographer. And he talked about how this guy did something and then something accidentally happened. And then that created basically his whole style of work that made him famous for all time. And it was just by something basically happening by mistake because something went wrong. So... Every, everything happens for a reason and it, it's okay if something doesn't go right you know we learn from making mistakes and, and especially hairdressers you know it's okay to make mistakes people don't talk about it enough but we get we all get redos we all get people that we need to make little tweaks on i had someone come and have their hair done a couple of days of me as a regular client and it just didn't go quite as well as we wanted and she came back today and i fixed it for her that's just life you know Jack, what is next for you and the business? We've just shot our first ever artistic team shoot with an amazing photographer. So we'll enter some competitions with these amazing images that we've created as a salon team. And uh, that's very exciting because I think that for Lydia and I to sort of trust, you know, the team that we can create something that is going to represent our brand has taken us four years to get to and I feel so excited and I love the images and I'm really proud of what we've accomplished as a team and that's really nice that it's not just about me and not just about Lydia you know it's about Jack and the Wolf and, and what we've created. I mean as if you have more time you keep continue to grow and you're surprising everyone with all these opportunities and it's honestly amazing. Yeah, oh, thank you. Well, we don't take it for granted. We really appreciate it. Like if we had time to stop, we'd pinch ourselves. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I feel blessed, you know, very lucky. Jack, we're going to play a quick game. Okay. I play this on every podcast. It is called Taylor's Would You Rather. So I made you eight Would You Rather questions and I made them about you. 
And so there's two options, but you only have three seconds to choose one or the other. Okay. Okay, here we go. Would you rather only be able to cut hair or only be able to style hair for the rest of your career? Uh, only be able to cut hair. Would you rather always have to work with dual scissors or always have to work with a faulty hair dryer? Um, always work with a faulty hair dryer. Would you rather have to cut a celebrity's hair for a major red carpet event or style a bride's hair on her wedding day? Oh, definitely a red carpet event. <laughs> Would you rather never be able to dye hair again or never be able to use any styling products? Um, never use any styling products. Would you rather work in a salon located in a small town with a tight-knit community or in a salon in a bustling city with diverse clientele? Definitely work in a bustling city with diverse clientele. Okay, three more. If you were to open another salon, would you rather start it from scratch or buy an existing successful business? Start it from scratch. Would you rather have a flexible work schedule but uncertain income or a fixed work schedule with a stable salary? Flexible. Okay, last one. Would you rather have complete control over decision-making in your business or have a team of experts to share the decision-making process with? Mm, definitely now share with people who know what they're doing. <laughs> Well, you know what? It's always good to get that extra little feedback. You know, it's always good to get a second opinion. Oh, I think that, yeah, I think that you have to, at some point you have to delegate. I think that you can't try and control everything. I think that it's, uh, I'm looking to try and delegate more things. 100% that will also help you in your business and your personal life. Totally. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's super late your time. Um, so I so appreciate you taking an hour out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. Oh, it's been lovely. Thank you. It's been so fun and your story's incredible and I can't wait to hopefully meet you in California one day if you come out here for the Vigaro event. I've got to get to California. Thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your night. Our goal is to always give you the content you didn't know you needed to know and to make sure you're always on point. I'm Taylor Burke. Thank you for listening.